Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. We're in training when His glory comes in like this, because a lot of times we want to fall out. Uh, but the Lord is teaching us how to walk in this kind of a weight where we can actually operate and function. <laughs> while it's still among us. It's one thing to fall out in the spirit. It's another thing to flow and operate in it. (laughs) God doesn't want you just to fall out in it. He wants you to flow and operate in it. Because it's not for you. Exclusively. It's for the world. And I love that word of that Our worship's got to quit being our me time. And our worship's got to be adoration of the king so that he would come down among us and walk among us and do what only he can do within our body. I was thinking about the train word. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah goes into the throne room. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That in antiquity, when a king would conquer another king, they would sometimes cut off the train of their robe and sew it onto theirs. So that the, lower, the longer the train was, the more regal and more victories that they had. And that we are part of this train. And so the Lord has severed you from the kingdom of darkness and from Satan. And he sowed you onto himself. And that you are the train. You are the glory of God that is filling the temple of God. Get on the train. Okay. Get on the train. And anytime Satan would flex and try to appear more valuable or more powerful, Jesus just picks up that train and shows him how many trophies he's got of those he's pulled out of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. In our text today, we got some uh, crazy stuff going on. How many of you know you're blessed when your enemies can't prophesy evil against you? That's when you know the blessing of God is on you, when even the devil prophesies you're good. (laughs) Heard old preachers say one time, I'm preaching so good, the devil said amen. (laughs) So that's good preaching, I guess. (laughs) Oh, man, we used to hear a lot of crazy things in church. But where we're at in our text today is Israel had a history, no history of fighting. They were slaves. 400 years of bondage and God calls them from bondage right into battle. See, some of us think that we've got to go through some kind of course before we can step into the things of God and and, and be functioning. Now, granted, there is some healing processes that have to go on. There are some things. but, But as soon as you get saved, God has called you to help him fill up the bucket with fish. Okay? You might just be a bait cutter right now, but that's okay because somebody's got to cut bait so we can put it on the hook and catch more fish. That there's all kinds of operations 
within God's vessel to catch the mighty harvest. And so he calls a bunch of Hebrew slaves and then transitions them to Hebrew nomads. And not only Hebrew nomads, they're now Hebrew warriors. And just a matter of a few days ago, they were slaves. <laughs> and when God's with you, no one can defeat you. So when the army of God begins to rise up, they run into some opposition. The king of Sion and the king Og. And they defeat them with no casualties and just wipe them completely out. News travels about uh, to uh, the other lands and, and fear and dread begins to fall upon the nations that are dwelling within Canaan. Because they hear that a king mightier than any king that they had served with or had served was now on the Jewish people, with the Jewish people, and they were coming in, and, uh, and, and so dread had filled the surrounding nations. So the king of Moab, his name is Balak, and his name means empty. <laughs> so King Empty <laughs> gets frightened. And he tries to find the best cursor he could possibly hire. So he hears of a man in Mesopotamia named Balaam. We would say Balaam. So maybe for giggles, we'll just say Balaam. It's Balaam. And Balaam means destroyer. <laughs> so King Empty... And destroyer come together to try and stop what God is doing amongst the people of God. So they provoke this man who's actually a worshiper of Yah, worshiper of the one true God, to curse the Hebrew people, and to put a spell on them <laughs> that God would honor to stop their military campaign and their advancement. But when the king begins to try to hire Balaam, Balaam tells him, hey, look, <laughs> there's this thing about Yah. <laughs> I can't change his mind <laughs> once he's up to something. <laughs> like, I can just say what he's doing, but I can't change him. So whatever he has blessed, I can't curse. So then King Empty pulls out a pocket that wasn't so empty. Not like mine here. Uh, 
And he tries to entice Balaam and says, what's it going to take to get you to curse these people? Now, Moab was actually in a place of a lot of privilege through a weird amount of circumstances because do you know how the Moabites came about? The children of Lot, Abraham's nephew. Moab and Ammon. So they were already in the family. And so when the children of Israel were coming through, they were going to actually pass through Moab and not even attack them. They said, hey, look, I know we're fourth cousins, so we could get married in Arkansas, but uh, we're, 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 uh, but we're just going to pass through, and how about you just let us pass through? The king of Moab is in so much pride, king empty, that he won't let God even pass through. And this is what pride always does. It always tries to impede the progress of what God wants to do. So he hires the soothsayer and he goes to him and he talks to him and talks to him. And he's like, look, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I can go, but all I can do is say what he tells me to say. Finally, they settle on that amount. And so there's something here about a prophet, okay? A prophet has to speak for God whether it's favorable or not. (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you, the prophet's in the worst position of all. I'm telling you right now. Because even when Mr. Deep Pockets, King Enti, comes, Balaam has to be faithful to the thing that God has said. So somewhere within that, Balaam, destroyer, begins to reason within his heart that he's going to take the money and the money he takes, he's going to actually speak the curse onto God's people. And so he loads up his donkey and makes his way from Mesopotamia to Moab to prophesy destruction, his namesake on the people of God. Now, while he's on his way, something really bizarre happens. You ready for this? It's like Shrek, okay? A talking donkey. (laughs) So as the man of God, the prophet, is riding this donkey, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with a sword ready to cut down Balaam. And so the donkey, like a smart donkey, (laughs) stops. 
If I was less sanctified, this could be a lot funnier, but I'm not. I'm ju- I am saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. We're just going with the beast of burden here, okay. He digs his heels in, and destroyer on his back starts beating the donkey (laughs) because he won't go. And he beats him three times. And it was like the Lord was showing me that this beast of burden, this donkey, was the grace of God trying to spare the life of one of his children. And how many times when we're trying to get somewhere that we think's gonna be profitable, does God send a donkey just to stop us in our tracks? And then we beat that grace of God because it's not taking us where we think we should be going. So this donkey ain't going. And Balaam has had enough. And on the third time, the donkey turns around (laughs) and speaks. And says, what are you doing to me by beating me these three times? Haven't I always got you to where you've needed to go? But for some reason this time you don't trust me and you think I'm impeding your progress when in reality I'm actually saving your life. Yeah. And so I would have been like, ah, a talking donkey! But destroyer Balaam is so dumb he gets into a dialogue with a donkey. So the man of God isn't talking to God. He's talking to a donkey. And some of us laughed, but we've spent too much time talking to donkeys. And we've not talked to y'all, the king of the universe, the Lord of it all. Some of you gotta, I gotta stop right there. I'm gonna stay saved this morning. Ah. I'm going to stay saved. Okay. And the donkey says to him, why have you beat me these three times? And then finally, the man of God, and prophets in this time were called seers. Who can't see? And who can? You see what? The Bible's really fun if you just kind of get in there with it and let it ride, you know. Not try to put everything under a microscope, but just, just enjoy what God's saying and doing and read it more like uh, there's somebody on the other side of it than you're doing some dutiful checklist type deal. Yeah, that doesn't get you much. But pride and arrogance and these other things. So the man of God can't even see the angel of the Lord. But the donkey can. 
Which leads me to this, that a donkey has more of a chance of seeing God than a prophet whose heart's not right. Who's still beating the grace of God that's trying to spare their life. And some of us have bounced all over this town and God's saying, stop. I'm putting you somewhere and I'm trying to plant you. And the reason you're this big is because you've never let roots grow. You can only transplant something so many times. Get some roots. Get some things that people can't see that are down up under there. Still worried about what everybody can see. Worry about what's underneath the ground. And get a hold of him and get some roots and get some nutrients and, and start pulling up that what you need to survive and live and flourish in him. That's what he wants to do. But we're so scared of men and what they might do or what they might say. I'm just like, dude, get over it. This isn't high school anymore. It's not a popularity contest. It's about what is the king of the universe saying and are you being obedient to that reality? So he digs his heels, hoofs, we should say. And they start having a conversation. Now the angel of the Lord appears to Balaam. He can now see him. After he's listened to the donkey, he now has insight. Do you see how funny what's happening here? It's just showing you Balaam's heart. And guess what the angel asks him? The same thing the donkey does. He goes, why did you beat that donkey three times? <laughs> now, mind you, the angel of the Lord had a sword. And Balaam tells his donkey in the middle of the beating, if I had a sword, I would slash you up right here. That the donkey is more righteous than the prophet. What does this tell us? This tells us this. We've all got a little Judas on the inside of us. And we're all capable to be bought. And we're all capable to let things sift into our hearts that would blind us to the reality of what God would want to do in our life. So we walk in humility, just like Jesus that rode in on a donkey. And it's okay if you're saddled up to a donkey this morning. But if it stops, you better stop. You better stop. You better stop. Your life could be at stake. That the things of God are life and death, not good and evil. See, that was, that was man, that's Adam's thing. God's thing is, I set before you, life and death. So to be disobedient, it isn't, oh, well, I think I'll be evil today. No, you'll be dead. Don't soften it. That's what Adam tried to do. Oh, I'll look through the paradigm of good and evil. No, no, no. It's life or death. So to be disobedient is to take a step towards. That's what it is. So the people that are hearing the voice of God got to be so, so careful. So, so careful. Because here's, what, here's how you know when you're operating in the prophetic you'll hear the arguments of others in the back of your head. 
So God will put something on your heart and you'll hear the complaints and you'll picture somebody complaining about, I can't do that. Then you'll picture this complaint or something that you imagining that they might say. Here's what I've learned. A lot of times people are not thinking any of those things. It's the devil trying to get me to operate in fear of men or fear of things and to get my heart to change because I can hear accurately, but if I create an enemy out of somebody, suddenly I leave the conversation with God and now I'm attacking somebody who didn't even say anything. It's just in my imagination. So I've just used the thing that God's tried to use to show me the picture and express to me what he wants to do. And now I've created an enemy that's not even real. So now tainted with my prophecy is anger towards somebody else. You're not going to get that in Bible school. I'm going to tell you right now. You're not going to get that in Bible school. So the destroyer makes his way king empty. And he says, okay, well, how does this thing work? And the people of God are in the camp. And so they get on a high place where people met with God in mountains. How does this work? Well, normally I create an offering and we have an offering. And then after the offering, we just kind of wait and listen for him. And so they create an offering. Then the Lord starts speaking. And the destroyer can only prophesy good about the people of God. <laughs> so he says, well, maybe the problem is the location. So he takes them to another place. Same scenario. Prophesies good things over the people of God. Takes them to another place, okay? And in that place, prophesies good things about the people of God. But within the prophecies, the thing that really just grabbed a hold of my heart this week was when he said, the shout of a king is among them. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, Israel at this time didn't have a king. <laughs> but something had happened within their hearts and they had so aligned themselves with God that each one of them were in their own conversation with the king and the roar of the conversation and lifestyles lived for him created a buzz and an ambiance in the air that hit them all the way to the mountain they were trying to curse from and where they said the shout of a king is right in the middle of this camp. Wow. That what would happen 
If everybody in here got tuned to the same frequency of Yah and began to engage with Him in their everyday lifestyle in such a way to where everybody looking in from the outside would have to say, the shout of a king is among them. Well, wait a minute. They live in a republic. There's no kings. Yeah, I know there's some things that don't don't seem to add up, but the buzz that I'm hearing, the reverberations that are entering the sound waves and coming into my ear and that are permeating my body is something that's telling me a king is being enthroned, whether it's happening in reality or not. That God would ask us what what frequency are we tuned to? I think about Jesus on the cross getting stretched out. See, if you don't have tension on a string, you can't get the note you want. Jesus was on that cross just being stretched until the note just got just right. Boom! Forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. See, some of you are under tremendous pressure and God's just tuning you to the right note. That these slaves who knew nothing about war knew they had one hope and that was Yahweh. (laughs) One hope did they have. So they all had to be attuned to the same note and frequency. So much so, they were in such unity that he says, the shout of a king is among them. And then I got to thinking about the upper room. And the Bible says when they all got in one accord, that Jesus resurrects from the dead and then teaches them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And then he ascends into heaven. And he tells them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So they gather. 500 saw him come up, but only 120 gathered to tarry at the prayer meeting. (laughs) We'll leave that alone. See, there's 500 interested in seeing the body there was 120 willing to be the body. 500 to see the show, 120 to evangelize the world. The Bible says when they all got in one accord, so they prayed for 10 days, and Peter preached for, th- for 10 minutes. And 3,000 were saved. Now we preach for 10 days and pray for 10 minutes. But I got to thinking, it took them 10 days in that room to finally get to the right frequency. To finally be attuned to one another to where they were all in one accord wanting the same thing. That what would happen 
300 folks. Let God get them all into the same note and same frequency. Because I want to tell you, there's something about a testimony. Testimonies aren't to get us to shout about our past. Testimonies are to get us to be inspired to say, Oh God, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And some of us have some old testimonies back there, and those are great, I love them. But man, it needs to bleed into your today to create a cry that sounds like the shout of a king is among them. So King Empty and Destroyer end up leaving empty-handed. That what God had blessed, they couldn't curse. So what do we got to do to tune ourselves to that same frequency? Because let's face it, some of us, we think, revival, I'm just trying to, you know, not scream at my kids. (laughs) Here's how you're going to do it. You got to learn how to change the conversation. Israel was facing Goliath and he was taunting the people of God. And it's amazing to me that a nine foot giant could seem bigger than the God of all the universe who fills galaxies. (laughs) But that's what had happened to the people of God. So Jesse gets this idea, and his motivations are wrong. Jesse sends his son David to the commander of the army with cheese and then bread for his boys. So he was bringing a little cheese to their wine. You know what? I'm going to take this show on the road. Y'all are just too slow. I can't even. I can't deal with y'all. W-H-I-N-E. Glad we didn't serve tomatoes. Anyway, don't want to empower flesh people. So, yeah, most sinners feel that way. Um, the, what are we even talking about now? Cheese man. Easy cheese guy. David is carrying cheese to the battle to manipulate King Saul so that he won't put, Jesse's sons won't get put in the worst place of the battle. And little does he know he's sending the one that's going to actually win the war. So here is Goliath talking this big game. And David shows up with his cheese for their wine, W-H-I-N-E. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it till somebody laughs in this place. I don't even care. I don't even care. And he 
thinks he's on this mission to soften and manipulate. But then when he shows up, he actually picks a fight with the giant. And what he says is this. Is there not a cause? He changed the conversation. Because they had fixed their eyes so heavily on the problem that they started agreeing with the problem instead of fixing their eyes on the king. So what happens is when we uh, have something from the Lord, there'll always be a voice come up over here that tries to get my attention and do one or two things. Either make me get in fear or make me get into flesh by attacking them. (laughs) So David, who had no military training, kind of like the Hebrew nomads we're talking about earlier, had just been in the um, pasture spending time with the Lord. See, one had entered the conversation with the king. And so when he shows up to the problem, he can change the conversation because he's heard from him. And so he says, is there not a cause? And that began to set off a chain reaction of things to where David is going toe-to-toe with Goliath and defeats him. Now, here's the beauty of it. David defeats Goliath, but Israel wins the war. That when we face up to our problems after being in conversation with the king... Suddenly, when we face our problems, we have the intellect, the wisdom, and the intelligence to navigate them with ease. Because here's what, we look at that as such a miraculous story, and and it is in a lot of senses, but, but think about this. David went to a knife fight with a gun. He had a slingshot. Goliath was trying to debate him into hand-to-hand combat. And you know what I found about pigs? Pigs like to roll in the mud. And David said, hand-to-hand combat, I got a rock and a pouch deal. How about from a distance? And we beat him. Like, oh, we could never do that. We could never have the wisdom to beat something like that. Look how big it is. And David's like, no, it's actually really easy. But because I've had conversation with the king, I'm hooked up to a wisdom and an intellect that is supernatural. And it's beyond what you're thinking because all you can see is the problem. See, we've got to change the conversation and begin to connect with the king is there not a cause (laughs) is there not a cause I love this Micah chapter 4 verse 9 it says this is the message why the doomsday hysterics is there not a king in you and I'm going to tell you everything about this world is trying to bait you into a fight And there's two ways you can fight it, in the flesh or in the spirit. (laughs) 
But if you'll have a conversation with the king, you'll have the wisdom to navigate every single thing that Satan's going to put in front of the church in the days to come. Not only will you have the wisdom to overcome it, you'll enter into overflow so that the people of God would look. And it wouldn't just be David beating Goliath. It would be Israel winning the entire world. This is what God is up to. So we can't enter into agreement with that, the giant. We can't enter into agreement with that which is begging our attention. We have to stay in conversation with the king. Because here's the New Testament reality. In that day, the shout of the king was among them. But the New Testament reality is the shout of a king is within them. That you have the mind of Christ. That King Jesus lives on the inside of you. Why don't we tap into that potential and use that treasure trove of ammunition to face anything that we might come up against. The last part of the text that we read, Numbers 24, that Balaam, the destroyer, actually prophesies the birth of the Messiah. How awesome is it when the, your enemies prophesy the birth of your victory? <laughs> The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes are open, the oracle of the one who hears the words of God and who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, although falling flat on the ground with eyes open. I see him, but not not now. I behold him, but not close at hand. A star will march forth out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. Now get this. This is some conjecture here, but I think it's good conjecture, okay? Mesopotamia was the place the Magi were from. You know, the Harry Potter folks that were the first to the... To the, see, God's showing us all this irony of the ones that are in you think are out and the ones that are out are in. And it's just, the Magi, from this prophecy, <laughs> thousands of years before, and this prophecy comes out, I can't help but wonder if these kings from the east, from Mesopotamia, had this prophecy of Balaam, the destroyer, and said, look at that star. Maybe we ought to go check it out. That from the prophecy of the enemy actually becomes the redemption story that could have made those who were far out be the first to lay gifts at the feet. 
which means you don't have to be a Balaam, a destroyer, who's looking to blow everything up all the time you come around, like you're Mr. or Mrs. Prophet. You don't have to be that. You could actually be the king from the east, the queen from the east that actually bows a knee and takes the prophecy that was in the enemy's mouth, turns it on him, and then creates the prophecy that brings Jesus into the world. So now we can read, Behold him, but not close at hand. A star will march forth out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will save Moab and all the sons of Sheth. That's what the Messiah can do. That you don't have to get caught up in what your enemy has been saying. You just stay in conversation with the king. And the enemy will prophesy on themselves and prophesy your good. Lord, we just honor you and we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in this place in the church, in the city, and the overarching, amazing, beautiful things that you want to do in and through us. So God, we allow you to begin to turn the tension up. (laughs) Because we're not at the right note yet. (laughs) And more than my comfort, God, I want to be at the right note. As you get two in the right note and three in the right note and four in the right note and five. And, six, and as you begin to tune us all, the sound is going to rise up and it's going to penetrate the second heaven, the principalities and powers and the demonic forces. It's going to penetrate and it's going to get the ear and the attention of God. That this sound would split waters and split clouds and rend the heavens where the voice of God is crystal clear and the work of God is crystal clear and heaven begins to invade earth. Do it, oh God. Do it in this place. Let it start in me. Let it start in me. Just stand to your feet all in this place. Don't want to belabor this moment. God did some awesome stuff today. But I do want to open the altars for anybody that needs prayer. We'll pray with you. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.